Happy Memorial Day, Chapel Hill. Both of you who are in person, you who are at home, I want to start by asking this. How many know what these are? Raise your hand. Any of you ever used them? How about you at home? What do you think these are? No, they're not meat hooks. These are hay hooks. Hay hooks. And I used a pair of these to do the hardest work that I have ever done in my life, bucking hay for Mr. Hunt. Back in 1972, Mr. Hunt hired me and two of my buddies to hoist hay bales onto a very slowly moving trailer in his field. Now, this was in Yakima. It was in July. It was in the 90s. The bales were big and heavy, and it was awful work. And Mr. Hunt was the lousiest tractor driver who ever lived. He aimed at the holes in the field, I think. So one of us would slam a hook on both ends of the bale, and we would lift it up to the trailer, and another would slam their hooks in and then lift it up and stack it in place. We did this for hours. We were soaked. We were exhausted at the end of the day. My buddy Chuck Newbauer had a big bump on his head because my other buddy Clint Richard stumbled when Mr. Hunt hit one of the holes and hit him in the back of the head with the back of the hail hook. Can you imagine? It would have been disastrous the other way around. So I'm just telling you it was the hardest work I have ever done and I earned every cent of that dollar fifty an hour that I was making. It's a little easier to make a buck today as it turns out with a lot less effort. People are being paid more to stay home than they are to return to work in our country. This is crazy. There are plenty of jobs and there are no takers. Less effort and more money. It is not a good recipe for our future. God created us to work. We derive self-worth when we work. And any system that rewards people for not working is a flawed system, and maybe you'd agree. But what about our spiritual lives? How hard are you working at that? Are you toiling in your faith? Or are you you kind of skating along spiritually? This is a, a, a serious question that I'm asking. If you call yourself a Christian, how much effort do you put into being a Christian? The Apostle Paul lays a very challenging text before us as we consider this question on this morning. From Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Speak those last words with me, would you? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you're an older parent, you'll recall the time when you took your kids off to college, right? And in that moment when you dropped them off and you prayed with them and you cried together and you hugged them, you got in your car and you headed home and you thought, well, he's on his own. I'm not here to watch out for him. I wonder how he's going to do. And that's exactly what Paul was saying in this verse to his beloved Philippian church from his jail cell in Rome. He said, essentially, you have obeyed what I taught you while I was with you. Well, now I'm not there to watch over you anymore. Now you're on your own, and you need to take responsibility for your spiritual life. You need to grow up spiritually, he said. And he put it this way. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
I was thinking about this passage. It's a very interesting, kind of troubling passage of Scripture. And I was thinking about it. I thought, what jobs do we do with fear and trembling? You know, I, I work hard. I sometimes have some anxiety. But I can't recall the last time that I walked into my office on a, on a Tuesday morning with fear and trembling. Maybe if, you're a, maybe if you're a high steel worker, that's part of your reality. Or maybe if you are a, a cobra venom milker, you do your work with fear and trembling. Or maybe if you are a bomb disposal technician, you work with fear and trembling. Or, most frightening of all, if you are a middle school teacher, you work with fear, right? Fear and trembling. But Paul says that we ought to actually approach our spiritual work in our own lives with fear and trembling. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, I think the key to it it comes in the very first word of the passage. He says, therefore. And of course, every time you see a therefore, you've got to figure out what it's therefore, right? And what is it there? So what Paul has just done, he has just been talking about the sacrifice of Christ, right? In this glorious Christ hymn, he's talked about how Jesus left the perfection of his relationship with the Father in heaven, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and offered himself up completely unto the point of death on a cross that we might be saved from our sin. This is what we are told. Jesus paid an extreme price to save us, And Paul says we ought to treat that salvation seriously. Fear and trembling is another way of saying your salvation is precious and significant. And you ought to treat it seriously. Now I suspect that you know in your own heart whether you treat your salvation, whether you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know. You know yourself you, you know that when you're hearing this, you're, you're, it, whether or not you would say, I really am working at this. Whether you consider salvation a big deal or not. I think there are some who are listening, perhaps here, perhaps at home, who would honestly have to say, you know, I, I guess I'm a Christian. I guess I'm going to go to heaven someday when I die. I, I guess I ought to try to be a good person, whatever. If, if that is your honest response about what you are thinking about your own faith journey, and I hope you'll grapple with what I'm going to say, Paul's words probably don't make much sense to you. Because you probably are not trying to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because you don't see the point. And if that's you, I, I hope that you will listen in the coming few minutes to what the Spirit might be saying through this text in, in your heart. When I look back over my life, the shameful things that I've done in the past, the things from which my Lord has saved me and forgiven me, His mercy and His grace and His kindness, I can hardly express how grateful I am for God's gift of salvation. My salvation was a big deal. It cost Jesus a lot And I take it very seriously. I know that I owe Christ everything. And if you share those feelings, if you share those deep feelings of gratitude, Paul says, then we've got some work to do. If you know that you've been saved and you recognize the value of it, then we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
But wait a second, you sharp Sunday school students might reply. I thought we weren't supposed to work for our salvation. I I thought that salvation was a free gift. Isn't that what Martin Luther launched the Reformation because of that principle? And didn't Paul write in the book of the Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a work of God, not a result of works. So I thought the the big difference between Christianity and every other world religion is that we don't have to earn our salvation, that we receive it as a free gift from God. So has Paul suddenly changed his mind here in this letter to the Philippians? Absolutely not. I want you to look more carefully. We're going to dig in a little bit. I want you to look more carefully at what Paul actually says. He says, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say work for your own salvation. He says work out your own salvation. The salvation that Jesus has already won for you. The salvation that Jesus has already offered to you by his death and his resurrection. I want you to work the implications of that out in your life. I want you to treat it seriously. I want you to give it everything you have. Treat it with the earnestness that this greatest, glorious gift deserves. And we know that's what Paul means because the second half of the verse. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's an interesting verse. It's a a balanced verse. It seems almost contradictory, but they're complementary. Work out your salvation, for it is God who is working in you. Our salvation always starts with God. God who is working with you. God who gives you the desire, the will, as he writes there, to, to live as if you were saved. God who empowers you to do and, and to do that and to do that necessary work. It is all about God. It is God's work in you. But, and... You also have some spiritual hard work to do to become everything you have been destined to be by Christ. It's like a gifted athlete. Think about it this way. You know people who are like that. They have incredible natural talent. But that's never enough, is it? They have got to take those talents that have been given to them by God and they've got to practice and they've got to train and they've got to compete in order to fully maximize these gifts. And that's what Paul is saying every Christian must do. Take this incredible gift of salvation and then train with it. So what does that look like? What are the qualities of a Christian who is working out her own salvation with fear and trembling? How would you even recognize such a person? Well, he gives us an idea. He gives us a glimpse of what those kind of people might look at as he continues. He says, for instance, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, if you were a Jewish listener, the minute you read these words from Paul, you would have recognized that he was hearkening back to the days of Moses, wasn't he? He's looking back to the days when God delivered the people of Israel from bondage in uh, in Egypt. Because no matter what God did for his people, 
They were never happy. They were constantly grumbling, constantly kvetching. I have a sign above my office door. It says, thou shalt not whine. And I love it. In fact, it's one of my steadfast rules on my Holy Land tours, as those of you who have gone know. You, no whining. A grumbling, complaining mouth is, a, is so miserable to live with, and worst of all, it's contagious, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to join in when everyone else is grumbling? And Paul says, instead of being an ungrateful, grumbly people, we're to be blameless. We're to be innocent. And of course we say, that's impossible. I mean, we are still sinners, saved though we might be. We, we still slip up every day. But Paul is saying, our trend, our trajectory, as more and more of the Holy Spirit gets hold of more and more of us, ought to be greater and greater goodness, greater and greater innocence. If we have, if we have wholly surrendered ourselves to the Spirit of Jesus, we should become better human beings because we're becoming more like the Christ who lives within us. This is the long, hard work of salvation that Paul is talking about here. And the fancy theological term for this is sanctification. We are being made more and more holy by the work of the Spirit within us. Sanctification. And when we do this hard work, when we take our faith seriously, when we take our praying seriously, our scripture study seriously, our worship seriously, our generosity seriously, our forgiving and serving and humility seriously, when we love our neighbors and we love our enemies and we love our God with everything that we have, when we are working out and working at the salvation of ours with fear and trembling, as if it really matters, Paul says something is going to happen. We're going to stand out. We're going to shine brightly like a, a star in the inky night skies. We will be so glaringly, so obviously different to our surrounding culture. And why is that? Because there is a dark, darkness, there is a crookedness to our surrounding culture. I don't think I have to convince any of you of this fact, especially after this last year. Our culture is bent. We saw it vividly through the dishonesty and the violence and the greed and the racism. Our society is bent. Crooked, Paul calls it. The Greek word for crooked, scolius. Scolius. You recognize that, right? It's the word from which we get scoliosis, that terrible curvature of the spine. And that's what Paul says this culture has. This culture has scoliosis. There's a crookedness to it, a bentness to it, a twistedness to it. I have a friend who I've known for years, and in the early days of our friendship, he would stride into a room standing tall, as he has gotten older, as I have watched, he has become more and more and more and more bent to the point now that he cannot even look up when he walks. You know someone like that, I'll bet. It's painful, painful to watch. And Paul says that is the bentness of this world of ours. 
But he says, but we who are working out our own salvation, we stand out. He says we stand out without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In the midst of a world that is bent and twisted and dark, Paul says, by the power of Christ you can stand straight and shine brightly. The other day I walked past my neighbor's house and he ran out to stop me and he said, Mark, you won't believe what I saw last night. We were out on our driveway talking to our neighbors and my wife suddenly gasped and she pointed up into the sky and she said, what is that? And we turned and and we focused on what appeared to be a, a straight string of a hundred Christmas tree lights traveling across the night sky at a high rate of speed and traveling in what seemed to be a perfectly straight line. He said, we had never seen anything like it. Want to see a picture of what they saw? This is what they saw. Amazing, right? The night sky was filled with billions, billions of twinkly objects, but there was something about this image that made it stand out. It was straight, and it was bright. And that's what Paul urges us to strive for in our own lives, to take our salvation seriously, to take what Christ has done for us seriously, to work hard at living out our faith, not to earn it, that's not possible, but to honor Jesus by what we do with what he has given. And when we do that, in the dark and twisted world, Paul says we will stand out like luminaries against the night sky, bright and straight. Last week I had a little bit of a health scare. It was an ER type of health scare last Sunday night. I'll share more about it with you next week. It's been quite an adventure. I'm doing a lot better. But as most of you know, when you have a scare like that, a reminder of your own mortality, it is an opportunity for you to reflect upon your life. And I did. And particularly as I knew I was going to be preaching this text, Lord willing, in a week, I, I began to realize I, I have not been hard at work on my own salvation lately. There's a sense of autopilot. I've been kind of coasting. And this experience in my last week caused me to realize the work that I need to do, the hard work I need to do right now, is to seek to cultivate more of the very last fruit of the Holy Spirit. Remember what that is? Self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I need more self-control. I eat stuff I don't need that's not good for me. I don't, often I don't even like. I'm sure none of you can agree to that. I, I watch too much TV. I pray in the morning, and, and often that can be it for the rest of the day. And I, as I was reflecting on this in this passage, I realized that that is the work that I need to do in my own health recovery, but in my own ongoing sanctification. I, it requires greater self-control on my part, disciplining what and how much I eat, ending my day in prayer as I began it, shutting off my TV and instead reading a devotional with my wife and praying together. 
And you might say, these are kind of basic things, Pastor Mark, and I know that's true. I'm just telling you this is where I am right now. This is me trying to take Paul's words seriously, trying to work out my own great gift of salvation so that I might stand straight and bright, shine brightly in a dark and bent world. And so I would ask you, my brothers and sisters, what is the work that God is calling you to do in your own spiritual life? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling that you may be without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let us pray. Father, this is a message that the not yet believer probably has to just listen in on. Hopefully, they're spurred by that, this idea of standing out against the brokenness and the crookedness of our society. But this is a message for the, the ones of us who claim to love Jesus and yet who are on autopilot, who have stopped really disciplining ourselves in any significant way in our spiritual journey, who have reached a point where we think, well, we've, we've got it, and that's just fine. Lord, I pray you would deliver every one of us from that fecklessness, that spiritual malaise, that instead you would renew in us a sense of the preciousness, the preciousness of our salvation, and, and in your spirit we would continue anew to work out what that means in our own lives. Each person here, God, prompt them in their heart, what is it that they need to do? Is it greater commitment to prayer? Is it greater commitment to kindness? Is it a greater commitment to generosity? Is it a greater commitment to service? Is it a call to greater humility? What is the work that you are calling us to do? We cannot do it in our own strength. This is not a grit your teeth moment, but Holy Spirit, we who belong to you need to belong more fully to you and you to us. And so, even in this moment, we pray, Lord, take more of us and do more with us. For we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.